Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, folks. It's Helia. I just wanted to pop in here to say, well, happy birthday to us. I launched Take On Board in June 2019, so it's our birthday month. Back then, I gave myself 12 months of doing this show to assess. I wasn't sure then, and I'm not entirely sure now, how to assess it. It might be the number of listens or how you rate us in your favourite podcast app or whether you've joined and are interacting in the Take On Board Facebook group. So I'm here to ask you for a special Take On Board birthday present. Could you do one of these things? Could you share this podcast with your board colleagues or a friend and ask them to subscribe? If you haven't yet done a rating, could you do one? It's super simple to do in most of the podcast apps. Just scroll down in your app and you'll find it. Could you write a review? They're a bit more challenging to find and they're different in all of the podcast apps. But if you could take the time to do it, I would love that. Could you join us in the Facebook group? Just search Take On Board in Facebook and come and join the conversation there. Or perhaps just get in touch with me and let me know what you think. I've had some fabulous conversations with Take On Board listeners who have got in touch. So that's it from me for now. Happy birthday to all of us and thank you so much for being part of it and being on the journey with me. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Jan Molino about how getting on a board starts with you. First, let me tell you a little bit about Jan. Jan is on the Ageing Life Care Association Advisory Board and is an active member of both the International Women's Forum and the DC Chapter of International Women's Forum. She is also an emeritus member of the George Mason University Women in Business Advisory Board. Jan is the President and CEO of Aspire Ascend, a consulting firm that provides a comprehensive portfolio and board career development services to enhance the success of executive women. Jan specialises in preparing executive women to sit on paid boards as well as excel in the C-suite. She is also well known for her public speaking on women in the boardroom, brand development and gender diversity in leadership. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jan. 
Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It is fantastic to have you. And I know there's going to be some great nuggets of gold here in this conversation (laughs) that we're about to have. I'd just love to dig a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, what was young Jan like? And when did you get your first inkling that you'd end up, you know, on a board? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. I don't know how many brothers and sisters you have, but I grew up with three brothers and I learned how to be a tomboy and to be a great baseball pitcher. So I guess in my own way, I was learning how to lead. And my early career started as a teacher and an educator. And then I became exposed to the corporate world when I joined it. And I found that I was often the only woman in the room and definitely the only woman in leadership. And that later led to my career in executive search where I placed women in the CEO role and in the boardroom to today where I coach and develop executive women to be more successful. So in reality, I've come full circle and I'm still an educator. When I was in the corporate world, I was in healthcare at a global healthcare system. And there weren't many women in the executive suite. In fact, there still aren't today. But, you know, I was kind of fortunate to have worked for the only female CEO in the entire company. And her name was Joyce. She showed me the power of building a strategic network. And she made sure I had a seat at the table and that I was always positioned for success. So to this day, I continue to practice what I learned from her and I pass it on to every woman that I coach. Oh, we all need someone like Joyce in our lives, don't we? How fantastic. Do you, just out of interest, do you keep in touch with her? Absolutely. She's an amazing sponsor. Oh, well, hi, Joyce. Thank you for all that you do and all that you have done. Because no doubt, not only did she do that with you, Jan, she's no doubt done it with a whole stack of other women as well. Absolutely. The really funny part about this is that I actually learned from her about the boardroom, quite frankly. She was my first real introduction to the boardroom outside of being in a sorority in college where I was in leadership. Hmm. But I learned about governance. I learned about the value of influence and persuasion. And she helped me climb the corporate ladder and prepare me for leadership. So yes, she was an amazing, amazing woman. You've touched on it there. Tell us about your first experience in the boardroom. That actually was funny, to tell you the truth. I was actually a pretty young woman at the time, and I was recruited to an American Red Cross board, local board in Florida, where I had lived at the time. And the reason that they wanted me on the board was because of my fundraising capabilities, which I didn't even know I was that good at. And again, you know, when you're with the American Red Cross or any of the nonprofit boards, it's all about helping them build funding for the organization. And I learned pretty quickly that I was the person that they went to all the time to get things done. And it later came, it became obvious to me that this was my path, helping people get where they wanted to go. But also that I was really good at at the fundraising component and really bringing people together. And to this day, quite honestly, you know, I am very good about mentoring people and bringing people together. Obviously, I speak to a lot of women about getting on boards and there are some common themes in there and certainly that having the right networks, finding the right mentors, the right sponsors is a common theme that we hear. It's very important that when you're in the boardroom that you are very good about networking with people and strategic networking even while you're on the board. And that's what I learned the very first time I was on that board, to build your alliances and to build the people that that you know on that board. 
Tell me more about that. Uh, I know we're meant to be talking about getting on a board and we will get there, I promise. But, um, you know, some of the lessons of being on a board, very similar, quite frankly, to getting on a board. So because often people think about those networks to get on a board and then do let their little black book kind of fall away once they're on the board. So tell us about that lesson that you learned on that and how it came about. Well, I think it's actually extremely important that you build a strategic network while you're on the board, because if you are looking at having a second or a third board seat, all of those relationships are important to you. And as long as you're looking at strategic networks, you need to put the right people into them. And so as you look at the people around the boardroom that you're with, who in that boardroom can you add value to for them if they want to go to another board, as well as what they can do for you. So you should never stop looking at how to build your strategic network. And I think to exclude the board members that you're sitting with in that boardroom is a big mistake. And in fact, it's one of the magic things I think about your first board is that you get to interact with those board members as a board member rather than aspiring board member. You're one of them. You're in that club now and you can have that conversations with them and be introduced to others around it. So it's, it's a fantastic point. Well, you know, the good part about that was because it was a nonprofit board, I was able to also learn because I did not go to that board with any board governance experience behind me. I had to learn while sitting on that board, which I think is the wrong, definitely the wrong way to do it. So I made sure that I took governance courses. So by the time I went to my next board, I actually knew what I was doing. So again, that's interesting. I I wonder what did that board do? How did they support you on that governance journey as well? Was there any tips in there? Actually, they were really very good. The reason they brought me on the board was because of my network. And I understood that. But they also set me up with a partner, so to speak, with a strategic partner on the board who helped me learn the ropes of, of the boardroom and governance. Mm, and it's it's happily becoming more common now, I think, that uh, when you join a board, you're appointed a, you know, a partner, a buddy, a mentor, whatever it may be from that board, or even sometimes from other boards as well, which is just such a fantastic way for people joining a board. I think no matter what their level of governance experience, even if they have quite a lot of governance experience, it's great to have somebody to just ask those questions of and learn more about an organisation with your buddy, even if you've been on boards for quite some time. No, I agree with you totally. And I think it's a great way to learn more about the culture of the organisation and the flow of how the meeting go. I think it's very important to have that mentor or partner Mm. to help you. Just from that first story of yours about you getting on the board, we've already got so many lessons out of that about, you know, having a great sponsor, someone like Joyce in our lives, having those networks and really nurturing those networks, not just for what you can get out of it, but what value you can give to that network. It's really a, um, it's a mutual relationship, really. And, you know, potentially mentoring and learning, there's a whole bunch in there already. I also know that you work with lots of women about getting them on a board. So from the work that you've done, what are some of the, the stories that you're hearing from your the women that you work with or what are some of the, the lessons that you've learned from that work as well? Well, you know, the interesting thing is when I work with women to help them get on their board seats, you know, the first thing they want to do is connect with a recruiter. And I keep saying, you know, getting on a board really starts with you. If you wait for an executive search firm to call you, you're going to be waiting there a long time. <laughs> and, during the, and during the course of these conversations, you know, I really look at, at how do they own their own success? 
when I was in executive search before I retired from that, I would recruit women for CEO roles and also put them in board seats. And in one instance, uh, I sent a female candidate the job specs and she sent it back to me with red check marks on it. And I'm like, well, what are these? And she said, well, these are the areas where I really don't feel like I meet all the qualifications. And I'm like, I don't think we need to worry about that. But in my entire search career, which I did for 16 years, I never had a male candidate ever tell me he didn't fit all the qualifications. Mm. So I have met few women CEOs or women in the C-suite that completely own their own success. You know, most of the time, think about it when you speak to a woman, they start off telling you the, the least important thing about their career first, and then they end up with their current role. I'm able to work with women and help them see the real value they bring to the organization, whether it's a CEO or whether it's on the board. So I just think that taking a look at how you own your own success is really critical to all women looking at a board seat or even being on a board. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we do often hear anecdotally that you know, there's the position description for a role and unless we can, we as women can meet 100% of that or probably 120% of that, we won't go for it. But there's John down the road who'll just go, oh, yeah, I'll give that a crack. Why not? So we often hear this anecdotally, but it, and I, I guess in one way, your experience as a exec, in an executive search is anecdotal as well, I guess, in one way, but it's quite a large sample <laughs> to be anecdotal evidence. So to hear that, you know, you've never heard that from the men. Yep. Okay. So we just really need to step into our own, you know, our own experience. Yeah, we need to own our own success. I was coaching a young woman last year. She is a first-time CEO and she was also going on to her first board and her name is Adriana and she had every kind of quality you would want in a CEO and she had to do her first board presentation. And she had all the content put together. I mean, from, an, from a standpoint of her content, she was an expert in everything. She was just a, a, a perfect candidate, but her delivery style was completely wrong. And so I worked with her on her delivery of how she was going to lead this organization and stopped her from, at the end of the conversation, she would always lift her voice like she was asking for permission to go ahead. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I said to her, I said, I want you to just tell your vision, tell them how you're going to work with this organization and where you're going to take them. So she actually did that. And she had one board member who really did not care for her. At the end of the board meeting, he came up to her and he said, you know, I didn't vote for you, but I will tell you, you're the only CEO I've ever seen in this organization who put out a presentation and actually told us where we were going to go as an organization. So needless to say, he is now her biggest fan. So Jan, you just talked there about presentations and about getting rid of that or at least minimising some of that upward inflection, it's really hard to get rid of that when you're asking a question. So can you give us an example of that? And can you tell us how you worked with her to work on that? Because it's a very difficult thing to identify and to do. Well, I do this all the time, to be quite honest with you. I can't tell you how many women I work with. And, and some of them are sitting on two and three boards today. And some of them are CEOs. And they still have problems with the way they present because... We as women have, I don't know what the hang up is. It is 
coming across as an authoritative, you know, strategic person. And mm-hmm. so sometimes when we, we were talking, our voice goes up at the end and it almost sounds like you're asking for permission all the time when you need to come across as a very thoughtful, strategic leader. And I think it has to do with the fact that we don't know how to brag ourselves. So it's hard for us to take that and put it into a presentation because it also sounds like you're bragging in certain ways. We have a tendency as women to own our own success. And so when I work with potential women candidates for board seats, I have to pull success stories out of them. It's our ability to talk about ourselves or do a presentation with great confidence, something all of us need to do. And so as women, most of us are not born with this skill. So it is something you need to learn and practice and practice. So you need to come across as a confident person and own the room. At least in my growing up as a little girl, that was never something that I was taught. So I actually had to learn that, which I'm sure a lot of women had to learn. And I think it's owning, as you say, owning that that success and that being confident and assertive is not being arrogant or aggressive. It's okay to really own that and be assertive and confident in what you do. Absolutely. The funny part about all of this is if we didn't, as women leaders, if we didn't think about any of that, we would come across more confident. But we're so worried about how other people see us and if we might be too assertive that it comes across as if we're asking permission. And I hate to see that in women because I have coached a lot of women in the last couple of years. And I can tell you there's a big difference when they come across as strong, independent women versus not doing that, mm-hmm. coming across with confidence and success. It's interesting. I, I do a similar session in one of the programs that I run around, you know, building your pitch for a board. And every time I do it in a group and every time we go around the table, exactly this, I say to people, so how did that feel to say, how did, to stand up and, and do your pitch? And everyone's like, oh, it's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm showing off. I feel like it's, you know, I'm being a bit over the top. And then I say to the room, so everybody else, how did it feel to hear it from everybody else? Oh, it sounded fantastic. Everyone just sounded, you know, really confident and like they knew what they were saying. So it's getting over that feeling inside and just imagining you're hearing it from somebody else. It makes such a difference. Well, you're absolutely right. And that, you know, whether it's your pitch or your unique value proposition, you need to own it. And yeah. you need to understand what your what your brand is. And of course, you also know that you are you're bringing with you to the table, to the board, a board brand. So you need to be able to articulate that with confidence Mm. or nobody's going to believe in you. So in developing the unique value proposition for women and working on that, what should they be thinking about in developing their unique value proposition for the boardroom? Well, you know, the reason you want a unique value proposition, because it's the best way to help your network help you. Your value proposition, it just isn't about your skills. It's about the different elements of your background and network, as well as your personal brand. You know, too many people overlook that last point I just said. Your personal brand is how you market yourself to the world, and it should appropriately reflect what your value proposition is. So just kind of ask yourself, are you considered a thought leader in an area where you would add value as a director? 
I mean, I ask women this all the time because I am constantly on a daily basis helping, helping women write their unique value proposition, their pitch and their board bios. So once you start thinking along this line, it becomes easier to identify what you might need to make your value proposition more apparent. Successful boards are a mosaic of experience and cultures. So what might make you attractive as a board candidate isn't what is common about your profile, but whether what makes you unique. So yeah. boards are made up of a diversity of thought with members bringing all kinds of experience, whether it's cultural, you know, age, geographic, whatever. So think about what is true that you can bring to an already diverse board. What is your unique board value proposition? You do this all the time as well. You can kind of equate it to your elevator pitch. When you have 10 seconds to sell some, to someone, what would you like them to know about you? And it's different for often for different organizations. There might be quite a bit of value you can provide to a boardroom and you, you might, I don't know, what's the word, tailor it for, the, well, in fact, not you might tailor it for the audience. You should tailor it for the audience depending on what they need and what they need to know the best. And it doesn't make you stand out. You know, you need to stand out. And I was talking to a young lady yesterday that I was coaching. And I asked, I think I actually stumped her. And I said, can you just say what your job is in one sentence? And she goes, no. She goes, it would be a big run-on sentence. And I said, it doesn't matter. I said, can you tell us what you do as a CEO in one sentence? I said, because that is, again, your pitch. You need to understand how you come across to people and you need to understand how to sell yourself. And that's no different than being in the boardroom or trying to get on a board. You work with so many women about this. Is there a story you can tell us about one of your clients and how they used some of these little nuggets and how they used it and where it got them? Absolutely. You know, the, the funny part is, in the middle of, of the pandemic that we're going through right now, I have um, two clients who wanted to just, you know, continue at work. One is a CEO of an IT company and the other is um, an EVP at a company. And she is uh, actually being considered for a rather large board seat. And she says to me, she goes, I just think that I need to focus on this and not on anything else. And I said, use me to help you. I said, don't stop our work. It is all about this downtime, so to speak, that it's time to focus on you. And so what we did was we put together their entire board mapping strategy, their unique value proposition, their board pitch, and we completed their board bio during this time mm -hmm. so that when all of this is done, they can hit the road running. So they're not wasting time because nothing's happening right now, so to speak. I just think it's important that we as women don't stop what we're doing to make ourselves better, mm. whether it's in our career or our lives. I think we need to stay very focused. And I was very fortunate to tell you the truth that, that they were willing to continue on this path because they're very strong women. They are running big companies and they actually took the time I work with them on a, like a bi-weekly basis now that they're actually mapping out their entire board strategy and where they're going to go. And again, I help them help build that strategies from the standpoint of the network that I have that I can also give to them to work with mm -hmm. because I have a rather large network. 
not just from this, but also from my 16 years in executive search. I have been in, I still remain in contact with every single person I ever placed and put in and worked with. So I have a very extensive network and I use that to help my clients. I think it's extremely important that during this time that our women in this network that continue to bring up and build their personal networking strategy, you know, the, the, the challenge is not only to build one, but to leverage it, to support and inform your board aspirations. So if you're just not networking and building this network and letting people know that you would love to learn more about board seats, people don't read minds. You know, you have to continue to do this. You need to find ways to be more forward and ask people in your network to introduce you to key people so that you continue to make your value proposition known. So building a personal board networking strategy is critical. Could not agree more, Jan. You are you're talking my language. <laughs> There's been so many little nuggets in here that are useful for people, but I'm wondering what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Well, the first one is I really would love for people to start building a brag sheet and really talk about what are your, your successes and put together a board pitch so that you don't race through those accomplishments. Learn how to brag and put them on paper. Two, delivery is crucial. So you need to do this in a nice conversational manner. So you need to practice that. And if you can, if you're home and your husband or your wife Ask them to critique you. It may not be pleasant, but it, but it will work. And I think from the networking map, use your network to map how you might be connected to members on the board or of a board. The more connections you have to the board, the more comfortable you can be about talking with them and because they'll make more introductions for you. Yes. And I think my last thought on that is something I say repeatedly. Research, research, research. As tempting as it may be to accept an op any opportunity that comes your way from a board seat, I strongly encourage people to be thoughtful and evaluate. Board service is a long-term decision. It's not a short stop. It is such a good tip there to do your due diligence that it's not all just about getting the offer. You need to be thoughtful about the acceptance. I, I was speaking with somebody recently and she had even gone all the way through to observing a board meeting and it was only after observing the board meeting that she declined the offer of a board role. So never have to feel obliged no matter how far down the track you are. It's not often that you hear that that is the circumstance and I often recommend that people do try to observe a board meeting prior if possible. So I'm wondering is there a, a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community, a book or a podcast or a TED talk or anything else? Well, I do have a favorite book and I have bought, I don't know how many of these and I hand them to my clients and they love them. It's, uh, it's about bragging. It's called Brag, the Art of Tooting Your Own Horn Without Blowing It by Peggy Klaus. You can get it on Amazon. It's a, it's a very thin book. It's a fast read and you will learn so much from it because as I said before, if we don't learn how to brag and toot our own horn, there's nobody else to do it. So we have to get out there and do it the right way. Jan, thank you. It has been so fabulous to have you on the Take On Board podcast today. Uh, I just know that people will get a lot out of this discussion and some great tips for not just getting on a board, but also for being on a board. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been an honour. 
Hi there, it's Halia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.